So we are talking tonight about the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to be opening up a PowerPoint here in just a moment um, as we go through the book of Ephesians. Now, before I go into the book, what I would like to do is kind of give you a little bit of background about Ephesians. Um, and Ephesians was a book that was written to the church that was in Ephesus. And to give you a bit about information about Ephesus, Ephesus was a center really of travel and commerce. It's, it's estimated that it was probably the fourth greatest city in the world at that time. So that's what was going on in Ephesus. Had a population of about 300,000 people and Ephesus was pretty much located on the western shore of what is today Turkey, all right? Now, Paul began preaching the gospel in Ephesus and winning souls, and he understood that doing that would have a real advantage. Why? Because it was a center of travel and commerce, and many people in their business travels would stop in Ephesus and in stopping in Ephesus, if they got converted, then he could they could take the gospel to wherever they were going. So it was like a central hub for commerce and business. Um, the city, however, was dedicated to the goddess, the Roman goddess, I'm sorry, of um, the Greek goddess, I'm sorry, with Artemis, who was the goddess of the hunt in Greek mythology. But Artemis was akin to, <laughs> this is kind of funny, to Diana, <laughs> who was the goddess of the hunt in Roman mythology. So yes, honey, you are named after a goddess in Roman mythology. All right, the goddess of the hunt. Um, now, Paul made three missionary journeys to Ephesus. On his third one, he stayed there for two years and he preached the gospel. And the gospel literally, as the Bible says, went all throughout Asia. So he had really great success in preaching the gospel and winning souls in his missionary journeys um, and into Ephesus. Now, if you want to read more about his missionary journeys, that's not what we're going to cover tonight, but you can go into the book of Acts chapters 18 through 20, and you can read all about Paul's journey to Ephesus and Priscilla and Aquila and some other good stuff that happened there, which I will leave hanging for you to go and read yourself. So again, that's Acts chapter 18, <clears throat> excuse me, verses, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 18 through chapter 20. So just read those three chapters and you'll get the full background of the story of Paul and missionary journey into Ephesus. Many of Paul's um, letters to the churches typically addressed an issue or problem that the church was having. So the book of Ephesians is a little bit different because Paul is not really addressing any one specific issue or problem that the church of Ephesus was having. So it's more just a general of doctrinal and encouragement and things of that nature. We're going to see that. And it was written around somewhere between 57 to 60 AD, somewhere in that range. All right. So that just kind of gives you a little bit of background, setting the stage for what we're about to jump into. And let's jump right in by looking at Ephesians verse number one, uh, verse numbers one and two. And it says here, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. A couple of things here. Right off the bat, and Paul does this quite often in many of his letters, is he identifies who he is. He establishes his authority in writing the letter because notice he said he was chosen by who? By the will of God to be an apostle. So he's establishing his authority in who he is and why he, he can write because he was chosen not of his own accord, but by the will of God to be what? An apostle of Jesus Christ. He also establishes who he's writing to, God's holy people in Ephesus who were what? Faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Remember that. We're going to come back to that line in, 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 in just a little bit. And then in verse number two, he says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And just so you understand, that opening grace and peace, you see that quite a bit um, in Paul's letters. And re one of the reasons why is because that was a very standard opening to a letter in that day. And what we also see is kind of Paul acknowledging two things. In the Greek culture, um, grace was a standard Greek greeting, and peace, or shalom, was a standard Jewish greeting. So in, in just that one simple line, Paul is addressing both the Jewish believer and the non-Jewish believer by those two simple words, grace and peace. Now, we could do a whole study on grace and peace, but that's not the emphasis of what we're going to do tonight. Let's dig into where we're going to spend our time tonight and why I'm so excited to share this with you. It all starts in verse number three. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I want to look at two things here and bring some clarity. The first line I want to look at is in the heavenly realms. One of the things you have to understand, as a believer, you have what I like to call a dual positionship, if you will. Because yes, we are seated positionally with Christ in the heavenly realms. However, we live physically in the earth, okay? So we're positioned in Christ, yet we're living on the earth. And because we're positioned in Christ, that gives us the right to bring God's presence, his authority, and his power into our earthly situations. So we can tap into God's supernatural power to intervene in our natural situations. Why? Because we are seated in the heavenly realms, positioned and why is that? Because of that last line there, because we are united with Christ. So we can tap in, think about this, as a believer, we can tap into heaven's resources to meet the needs of earth. We can tap into heaven's resources to engage in spiritual warfare if you need to do that. And then here's the other thing that, that I love here is the other part of this verse. It says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Here's, I want you to think about this because this, folks, is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here this evening. 
you need to understand that as a believer, God has given you everything you need in order to live the life that he wants you to live. You have to understand that. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're going to look at seven of these blessings tonight that God has given us, okay? So we have everything we need. The, the challenge that we have is making sure we understand how to access it. See, all the power you need, all the strength you need, every blessing you need, God has provided for you because he has blessed us. Notice the language with every spiritual blessing, every. And why? Because we are united with Christ. Now, what are the spiritual blessings? So let's dig into this. And it starts in verse number four. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, just in case you were wondering, okay? It says, so even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. First thing I want us to do is define who the us is. <laughs> the us, right, are those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus as their only hope of salvation, or though the us is the faithful followers of Christ, the ones that Paul identified in the opening part of his letter. So here's what I want you to understand something. This is, this is pretty cool when you think about it. God decided before the creation of the world that those who would put their trust in Jesus as Savior would be made holy and blameless in his eyes. Okay? Think about that. Before God ever said, let there be, he had already decided that those who would put their trust in Christ would be holy and blameless in his eyes. Okay? I want you to get that. So the first spiritual blessing that God has that God has poured out on us is that he has made us holy. Now the question is, what does holy mean? So here's what holy means. Holy means to be set apart for God's special use or for God's special purpose. Now, I want to consider holiness tonight from a perspective that I don't think I've ever heard anyone approach it from. And so I'm going to throw, throw a little twist on, on this because I want you to understand holiness in a little bit different way. And as we see here, it says holiness is we're set apart for God's special use. Think of it like this. Um, you know, when you sit down to eat dinner on a normal night, you know, we, we, we sit down to eat dinner and we go into the cat cupboard and we pull out the, the regular plates to eat off of. But a lot of times when you have a special event, what you'll do is you'll pull out the fine china. You know, we had some, we had some guests over um, recently and when we sat down to serve them, we didn't want to just serve them on our regular plates. We wanted to serve them on the china that my wife so treasures that she has hidden in the cupboard. And if the kids go near it, you know, they say, get away from there. Can't play around the China. You know those, right? 
because you typically store the china in a separate place. Usually it's separated from the other dishes, right? Because the china has a special purpose. And the reason you use the china is because you want to elevate the experience that your guests are having. The china gives them a different experience. It raises the bar. It makes them feel a little bit more special. So here's what I want you to understand. You are like that fine china. You have been set apart by God for his special use. But here's, the, here's why, and I want you to get this. The reason why is so that whenever someone comes in contact with you, that you would elevate their experience. And, and, I, and I want you to understand, I've never heard anyone talk about holiness from this perspective, but you have been set apart so that when people come in contact with you, they walk away feeling a little bit different because you've elevated their experience. How do we do that? We do that by the way we share the love of God, not just in what we say, but by how we act around them. Um, we do that by making people feel valued and of worth, by encouraging people, by sharing the gospel with people, by loving people. All right. I've never heard anyone talk about holiness like this, um, but we have been set apart to elevate other people's experience. I want you to understand that so that when people come away from you, they think, man, there's something about that person. I don't know. They may not know what it is, but they walking away. You know, when I walk away after talking to that person, I just feel better about who I am. Okay. I want you to, I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, I have this question for you. How do people feel after they have encountered you, all right? Remember, you are set apart for God's special use and for God's special purpose, okay? So how do people feel after they have encountered you? Now, oftentimes when people think about holiness, right, they think about a lot of times, you know, how we should live, and that's fine. I'm not saying, not denying the denouncing that. That is absolutely important. And you need to live right and you need to not live a sinful lifestyle, right? Um, but I want you to think about living a life that's holy, that influences the people around you. And the reason why I say that is because some people, when they're trying to be holy, they look miserable, right? There's no joy. There's no love of God. They're just you know, they, they, their face looks like they've been sucking on lemons all day long. Um, and there's no joy of the Lord. There's no peace of God. There's no um, expression or excitement in their life, right? And so we, in living holy, need to influence others. Because sometimes our holiness makes us unapproachable. And I just don't think that's what God had in mind when he said, be holy for I am holy, that we become unapproachable. Think about Jesus. Jesus would eat with sinners. Jesus would, um, you know, and, and the Pharisees, the religious people hated that, but Jesus would sit and eat with sinners. And there was no one who was holier than Jesus would, was. And yet when those sinners walked away, they felt different about their situation. Now, some felt good, some felt convicted, 
but they all walked away impacted by having encountered Jesus. I think that's one of the aspects of holiness that I don't know if we talk about enough. So here's what I want you to think about, right? Jesus was around sinners wise, so he could demonstrate God's love to them. So we need to do the same thing. So for example, here's what I mean by sometimes becoming unapproachable. Coworker asks you to go to lunch or go out to bowl with the, with the team or do something like that. And you say, no, I can't do that because I'm holy. <laughs> I'm holy. I can't do that stuff. And we have to, yes, we have to use wisdom and common sense. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we have to be willing to engage people where they are to elevate their experience, to draw them in to the kingdom of God. So you got to set you apart for special use to elevate the experience of people when they come in contact with you. Never heard anyone mention holiness like that, but that's one of the first things God said that he would do is set us apart to be holy. The second thing he said was that we would be blameless. And to be blameless means to be innocent of wrongdoing. Now think about that. Blameless means you are completely innocent. Innocent. Think about that. Without fault. So before the creation of the world, God said, I would look at you, those who are faithful followers of Christ, and I would look at you without fault innocent. That's powerful. Okay. And I want you to get something here. Notice the language in that verse says before the creation of the world. Okay. What does this mean? This means that the plan of salvation was not a reaction to Adam's sin, but was already conceived before Adam was ever created. Before Adam was ever created, God already knew what he was going to do, okay? So it didn't catch him by surprise. Um, he wasn't caught off guard. Oh my gosh, Adam just ate the fruit. What are we going to do now? No, he understood that, and he had a plan and provision already in place because he knew what was going to happen. So let's continue on. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I want to talk about this whole concept of adoption for a moment. And I want you to understand what adoption means in ancient Rome. Because in ancient Rome, if a child was born to you by birth, biologically, the parents actually could, if they wanted to, disown that child. But by adoption, they couldn't. And so it was a different by adoption. And so we are adopted. I want you to understand what that means because when they were adopted, listen to this. I'm just going to read this from, I did some research online. The website was called Alicia.org. But it says, not so. If a child was adopted in Rome, adopting a child meant the child was freely chosen by the parent and that the child will be a permanent part of the family. Parents couldn't disown a child they adopted. Now listen to this part. An adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts were erased. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. And also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life, not something that 
began at death. So being adopted means you also took part in the inheritance. So God has adopted us. And here, are folks, are some of the blessings of adoption. Here's the first one. You have a new identity. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that <clears throat> once we were not a people, now we are a people. Um, the Bible says to him, to as many as received them, to them he gave the right to be what? Called the children of God. So God adopting you gives you a new identity. But here's what else it does. It gives you a fresh start. Everything is made new. Any old debts, any old sins, any old lifestyle, all of that is canceled out when you're adopted. You get a clean slate. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when God adopted you, he gave you a fresh start. Number three, he gave you a change of home. Think about it. Apart from Christ, we were going to be eternally separated from him in hell apart from Christ. But now we will be united with him forever in heaven. We have a new home. We have a change of responsibility, right? No longer living a life according to our flesh or our sinful nature, but now living a life in accordance with the Spirit of God and living a life not to please myself or please ourselves, but to bring glory and honor to God. Number five, we are now heirs to an inheritance, right? Being adopted means that you are an heir to the Father, you are joint sharers in all his possessions. I believe it's Romans that says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, here's the best part about being adopted. Here's the absolute best part, and it's right there in Ephesians. This is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I hope you hear that. This adopting those who would believe in Christ, grafting them into his family, is what God wanted to do. He is excited to do. It gives him great pleasure. That is a powerful thing. Awesome. This is what God wanted to do. Let's keep going. Ephesians, number six. These are all the blessings, right? Number six. So we praise God for his glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So here's the first thing. We have been redeemed. What redeemed means is purchased our freedom. Think about it. We were all slaves to sin. We were all spiritually dead in our sin. We were all prisoners to our sinful nature. And what God did was he redeemed us and purchased us through the blood of Jesus. Now, not only did he redeem us, that scripture says he also forgave all of our sins. What does that mean? That means that he pardoned our sins and offenses. Now, here's the difference between forgiveness and blameless. Forgiveness, you have sinned, and God chooses to pardon your sin. Blameless is, it's as if you have never sinned, period. 
So not only are we forgiven, not only has God pardoned our sins, when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we have never sinned at all. Just a powerful thing when you really, when you really understand that. And so I want you to look at these spiritual blessings for a moment, because Paul kind of works backwards with these spiritual blessings. And here's what I mean by that. Um, or there's a way you can look at this, right? God redeemed us and purchased us, right, through the blood of Jesus, and he forgave all of our sins. But he didn't just forgive us our sins. He freed us from the bondage of our sinful nature that we were in. But he didn't stop there because that wasn't enough. After freeing us, he adopted us and made us part of his family, giving us all the rights and privileges of a son or a daughter. But that wasn't enough. He called us blameless so that he looks at us as if we never sinned to begin with. And then that still wasn't enough. He sets us apart for his glory. That's the holiness. <clears throat> All right. And to be still, that wasn't enough. He made sure that we would have every spiritual blessing we need to make sure that we could live the life that he wants us to live. You see? And guess what? There's still two more spiritual blessings we're going to look at. And so when you see that, and then you read verse 8, right, and through 10, it kind of gives you better uh, per perspective. Why? Because it says he has showered us, has showered his kindness on us, right? Making us holy and blameless and redeeming us and adopting us and forgiving all of our sins. It's just God showering. I love the language his kindness on us, right? If you've ever been outside in a torrential rain, that's the image that I get. God has poured his kindness on you like a torrential rain where you step outside and, and in three seconds, you're completely drenched. That's how God has showered his kindness on us. And he gave us all wisdom and understanding so we would understand and have knowledge of all that he's done for us. Hope you're getting this stuff because this is exciting to me. Here's going. Now, verse 9, it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And here's the, the, the plan with Christ. That at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Here's some good news, folks. Everything... At, at, in one, at one point in the future, I don't know when it's coming, right now, everything, uh, all authority has been given to Christ. However, um, there's still rebellion, if you will, allowed. There will come a point where there will be no more of that. And who Christ is will be revealed. And as Philippians says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confessed, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that day is coming where everything will be under the authority of Christ. And what a day that will be, where everything that is flipped upside down and, and, and turned wrong because of, of, our, of sin will be made right. Everything under the authority of Christ. And let's keep going. Verse number 11, because we're adopted, remember we have an inheritance, right? Furthermore, because we are united with, with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. 
for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, I said before, we have an inheritance. What our inheritance is, is the fulfillment of our salvation when our faith is made sight, when we, where we spend our eternity with God, never ever separated from his presence. So I wanna share this with you, this, this verse, because we have an inheritance and here's the inheritance, all right? And I just, I'm just gonna read this to you. This comes out of the book of Revelation. We are heirs of, a, of an eternal inheritance. That's the sixth blessing. But here's Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse one. And if you're, just, just listen to this. It says, then I saw, this is our inheritance, folks, a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Keeps going. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious, notice, will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. See, folks, that is your inheritance. Why do we, we may suffer and struggle and, 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 and go through warfare and face hardship and all of this stuff in this life, but this is our inheritance. One day God will wipe every tear. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. God will wipe it all away. And we, God himself, we will sit in his presence without um, nothing to, 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 to shelter. We will get his full, um, unadulterated presence of God. We will have access to it. God himself. This is your inheritance if you are in Christ. It's all worth it, folks. It's all worth it. Because all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. You are an heir to this inheritance. And here's the best part. No one can ever take that away from you. No matter what you go through in this life, no one can take your inheritance from you. You are an heir. Now, there's one more that we need to go through. 
So we, we know we are holy. God has established us as holy, blameless, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, heirs. And here's the final one. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Here's what it says. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you, he identified you as his own by giving you what? The Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Now, when you were born again, when you gave your life to Christ, God deposited the Holy Spirit inside of you. You see, the, the, the way we access all of these spiritual blessings is through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, okay? And it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to live out the life that God has for us. But there's one other awesome thing the Holy Spirit does, and that's in verse number 14. Here it is. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, notice the language here, is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. You see, the reason I know, the reason I can say with confidence that I am holy and blameless and adopted and, and redeemed and forgiven and I'm an heir is because God has given me his Holy Spirit. And it's the same thing he's done for you. The Spirit of God, I think the uh, NIV says, is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that God has for you. So I can know with confidence all of the, and access all of these spiritual blessings. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives inside of me. That is my guarantee. Romans 8.16 says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, in biblical times, a seal is what they used to guarantee a security or to indicate ownership, all right? And an ancient seal, was, it was made of wax and it was all, often embedded with the imprint of the person who was guaranteeing it. And so what God did was he imprinted you with his Holy Spirit. And because we have his Holy Spirit, because you have his Holy Spirit, that means that you are sealed and marked by God. That means that you are owned, if you will, by God. You become his possession and his treasure. So that's God's guarantee. And so the seventh spiritual blessing is that we are marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. So let's run through these again, and then I'm going to wrap up. And um, So number one, we are holy, set apart for God's special use or special purpose, right? 
we're blameless. God looks at us and sees no fault, sees nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Imagine that. God looks at you and sees nothing wrong with you. You have been adopted because God wanted to. It was his joy to do it. And because he has adopted you, you can never be unadopted. He can't unadopt you. That's, that's against the, the rules of adoption, if you will. You've been redeemed, purchased from your life of sin and freed from your sinful nature. You've been forgiven, pardoned of all your sins and offenses. You are now an heir of an eternal inheritance that cannot be taken from you. And God has marked and sealed you with his Holy Spirit, which is the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that God has for you. Now, after seeing all of that, let's read verse one all over again. Praise, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we, you, are united with Christ. I don't know about you, but that is something to get excited about. You, my friends, are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That is exciting. That is something to rejoice about. That, folks, is something to praise God about. Now, before I close, I want to talk to someone who might be listening to this who can't say that they're holy and blameless or redeemed or forgiven or adopted or sealed or an heir because you have not put your faith in Christ. But here's the good news. The moment you do that, the very instant you do that, then every spiritual blessing that we just talked about becomes yours. The moment you receive Christ as your savior, God sets you apart as holy, he declares you blameless. He adopts you into his family. He redeems you. He pardons your sins. He makes you an heir and he seals you with his Holy Spirit. But there's one thing you have to do. You have to accept Christ as your personal savior. And so if you want to do that tonight, it's real easy. This is probably the easiest thing you could ever do. And it's real simple. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, today I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life, transform my life, and change me, and make me what you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. It's that simple, folks. And if you can pray that simple prayer and believe it in your heart with God, all those spiritual blessings that we just identified are now yours. Now, I'm gonna pray for everyone else and then my wife's gonna come back on. Father, I thank you for every person on this line. And God, I thank you for every spiritual blessing that you have given us. The prayer today, God, is that we would learn how to walk in what you have provided for every person, myself included, that we would remember that we are holy and blameless and, and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and heirs and sealed with your Holy Spirit so that we would live with that reality, that we are seated in heavenly places with you, oh God, 
and we thank you for it. God, I pray that this word would go deep into our hearts and stay there and produce much fruit. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.